The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. This is uh, May 31st, 2016. It's a day when the equity markets are down uh, fairly significantly. I see the Dow is down 148, S&P is down substantially as well, NASDAQ too. Everything is uh, pretty red on the screen today. Uh, gold has managed to uh, actually gain a couple of dollars in spite of all of the, uh, the other negativity in the markets. Um, I do like to remind you each and every week that I am the, uh, that I write Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Um, and that uh, my partner, Chen Lin, publishes What is Chen Buying, What is Chen Selling. Now, Chen is actually in Colombia, South America, this week, spending most of the week visiting uh, one of his favorite energy companies, uh, that is Canico Energy. So I uh, hope perhaps when Chen returns we can get an update from Chen. I know he's also very excited about a few of his, uh, two or three of his uh, biotech stocks that are very exciting right breakout level. Uh, things going on fundamentally that he believes could send uh, one or more of those stocks rising dramatically in the next several days. Um, would suggest that uh, if you're interested in subscribing to my newsletter, you go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. You can also sign up for Chen's letter, um, What is Chen Buying, What is Chen Selling, by going to miningstocks.com. Uh, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show and encourage you to continue sending along your questions, um, comments, praises, and criticisms to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com, questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. Also, follow me on Twitter at jtaylormedia. Uh, I do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Uh, we have Avino Silver and Gold Mines, RN Resources, and today TriMetals Mining joins us as a sponsor. We're very happy to have TriMetals Mining, it's a company that I learned to know about uh, at the PDAC at, at, in Toronto back in, in March, and then I met up with them again in New York City recently uh, at a conference there. Um, and um, TriMetals is, is really a very, uh, very significant company. You know, what's really exciting now is that there are so many companies that have been bludgeoned by this dec- decline, this bear market in gold. The companies uh, have done an awful lot of work, millions and millions of dollars in economic studies and so forth, 
But, you know, unless you can get the gold out of the ground or whatever the mineral is uh, and get it out economically, who cares? It doesn't matter how much they've spent. Well, when the gold price is turned around, as it has, uh, economic viability starts to become a reality again in many cases. And Trimetals Mining is a company that uh, had a PEA, a very robust PEA that was done on uh, a couple of uh, deposits that it has outlined uh, open pit heap leachable deposits that uh, straddle between uh, the well straddle the Utah and Nevada border on either side. Lots of targets to shoot at, uh, close to a million ounces. The PEA was very robust at thirteen hundred dollar gold. Well, we're a little below that now. We're at twelve eighteen, uh, so it could be marginal now. Actually, I think uh, gold could go down to a thousand, and it would still be. Uh, marginal, uh, not not uh, very profitable, but certainly marginal. Uh, and the company is now working on and, and has identified some very high-grade open pitable uh, resources or p- potential resources, I should say. They, they have to do more work on them that would make the uh, project even more robust. So for a company that's selling at around 29 cents in Canadian money, giving it a market cap of around $40 million, well, it's up dramatically from where it was. Uh, but if you look at the stock chart of this company going back uh, three, four, five years, you realize it's just hardly moved at all in terms of where it has been in the past and where I think it could go. If we're going to see the kind of rise in the gold price that uh, uh, Michael Oliver is suggesting, uh, first resistance he's suggesting is upwards to $1,450, somewhere in that range. Um, and uh, we're seeing a bit of a pullback now, perhaps uh, not that significant really in the longer term scheme of things. But in any event, uh, Trimetals Mining, I'll be talking to Ralph Fitch, the president uh, and CEO of the company in the not-too-distant future, at least once, I expect twice or so. Uh, and over the next three months, as the company starts to get some drill results, uh, I think the uh, the stock could certainly uh, respond very very positively. So it is one that I own, and it is also a company that is, uh, that is uh, recommended in my newsletter. As a matter of fact, uh, all three of the companies that are current sponsors, Avino, Silver and Gold, and Aron Resources, are all uh, recommended in my newsletter and also uh, are owned personally by uh, by yours truly. And I do tend, uh, almost always, the companies that are sponsors of this show are companies that I have purchased shares in and I believe in. And uh, I'm not terribly interested in having companies come on as sponsors unless I have confidence in their prospects. And so I can say with... Uh, with uh, with a straight face and certainly uh, confidently that I believe all three companies that are sponsors have great prospects uh, to do ex- exceptionally well. Their share prices do exceptionally well, especially if we continue to see uh, a um, uh, the positive movement in the price of gold and silver. Um, I would like to uh, just bring your attention to some of the uh, issues that are in front of us right now. Uh, one site that I would highly recommend you go to if you're not already visiting it is Zero Hedge. I think Zero Hedge and, and David Stockman's site as well provide really very solid information from a fundamental point of view, from a free market point of view of, uh, of, of what is actually going on in the world. I mean, this is the, what we try to do on this show is to provide you with views that are not mainstream, views that I believe are legitimate, uh, that are based on, on free market economics, uh, on solid uh, moral principles, uh, which I think free market economics are based on solid moral principles. And um, 
uh, and then try to look at the world as it really is, not as uh, not as the way the propagandists would have have us to believe it is for their own uh, for their own purposes. So, but just to give you an idea of some of the some of the issues that are raised at Zero Hedge. Um, Interestingly enough, the Huffington Post removes an article claiming that Hillary Clinton will be indicted on federal racketeering charges. Now, certainly, we've seen Judge Napolitano opine that there's no way that Hillary Clinton uh, could be excused ex- except that the uh, President uh, of the United States decides to give her a pass. Uh, and I would, uh, you know, recently Donald Trump has talked about um, the issues that surround uh, the mysterious death of Vince Foster uh, going back during the early days of the Clinton administration. Uh, and so that caused me to go to my library and pick up a book call, uh, called The Secret Life of Bill Clinton. And this is a book that was written by Ambrose Evans Pritchard. Uh, and I just looked at, uh, I didn't have much time to dig into it, but I started looking a little bit at the allegations. And certainly Donald Trump is absolutely right in saying there are some serious questions surrounding the death of Vincent Foster, which was uh, alleged to be a suicide. Anyway, very interesting. Uh, And, you know, I guess you could say, we don't want to know about that because it's too dangerous. We don't want to know about that. We can't stand to believe uh, that anything uh, could be going on between the president and Vincent Foster uh, that uh, that would really destroy the credibility of our government. So what do we do? Do we sweep it under the rug? Well, I suppose that's the easiest thing to do with a lot of things that go wrong. I'm not saying that I believe anything wrong happened. All I'm saying is, as with 9-11, there are serious questions that have never been answered, as with the death of President Kennedy and others, of course, in the past. But I would just commend you to go to Zero Hedge. Read Zero Hedge. Look at that website. Read it. uh, Dig into it. And be critical of it, of course. Uh, but if you want to really understand what's going on, I think um, y- you're well advised not just to depend on the mainstream media. Other uh, ar- other articles at Zero Hedge that I think are very interesting. Uh, just one second here. I got to make sure I'm all right with my time. All right, I have a couple of minutes left yet before we need to go to our first break. Uh, the Dow dumps into red territory. Uh, for May as oil fails to hold $50. That was an article yesterday on Zero Hedge. Uh, Another one is Peak Insanity. This trophy apartment in Manhattan is going for a cool $250 million. Well, that reminds me of a topic we're going to talk to John Rubino about, and John is going to tell us that actually the $100 million and up homes around America are having a hard time now finding buyers for them. We'll want to learn more about that from John. Uh, But in any event, uh, a new problem emerges for Hillary, a political problem, that is Obamacare. As most Americans are are realizing, Obamacare has not been the panacea they were sold to believe it was. Well, of course, we were never really allowed to know what was in Obamacare. Uh, You know, as one primary politician said, don't worry, pass it, and once Obamacare is passed, we can find out what's in it. Well, I mean, what kind of government do we have, after all? Um, Interesting enough, also an, uh, another issue that I think is is, fab- is very, very interesting, and that is uh, the Saudi Arabians are having for the first time ever to sell bonds. With the oil prices uh, collapsing, with the global economy really uh, imploding, uh, the Saudis are having a hard time meeting and uh, making ends meet. And of course, the U.S. dollar is based on uh, the petrodollar, another 
another issue I think that we will perhaps talk to John Rubino about. Well, there's many more things to talk about, but but we are going to focus on uh, on several issues that I think are very very important today. Um, as I mentioned, John Rubino will be with me, and he's actually replacing uh, Rick Rule, who uh, for some reason was not able to be with us. Rick will be with us in a couple of weeks from now. My good friend Eric Coffin will be with me just uh, on another minute or two here after we go to our first commercial break. Uh, Eric is going to talk about some of uh, some very exciting junior gold exploration plays, some drill plays. You know, interestingly enough, now with the gold markets looking good. Uh, the markets actually move when there's some good intersections reported, some good assays coming out of drill intercepts. And so we're going to talk to Eric about a few of his favorite plays. And then uh, we're going to talk to uh, to John Rubino uh, about this issue of the $100 million homes that uh, they can't seem to find buyers for anymore. Um, gee, I don't know why. Um, maybe the, uh, the people that can afford that or maybe credit isn't as available, whatever the reasons, we'll ask John about that. Some other very inst- interesting issues, too. As John points out, with massive amounts of money being created, it has caused all manner of, of, of malinvestment, both uh, in places like China, uh, in Japan, and in the United States, around the world. Whenever you create money out of thin air and force interest rates down, you create a misallocation of capital. And that is now starting to come home to roost, and we'll be talking to John about that. Interestingly enough, uh, it is the Japanese that are really apparently running up against it right now. Very, very almost panicky, it seems, as though uh, Prime Minister Abe a request for help from the G7 basically went unheeded uh, on the last G7 meetings. So we're going to talk to John Rubino about all of that. We do have to go to a commercial break now, but don't go away. When we come back, I'll be with Eric Coffin, and we're going to learn about a few of his top picks. Well, um, I don't know if they're really his top picks, but they're companies uh, that he believes have very good exploration potential, and we might actually see some drill intercepts could drive those stocks higher. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Eric Coffin. business you'll find the experts here voice america business network avino silver and gold mines is a diversified low-cost producer with operations in mexico and canada avino is growth oriented and recently completed a major expansion at its mexican operation which doubled its silver equivalent output in 2015 avino has partnered with samsung cnt and is now an official metal supplier to one of the world's largest manufacturers of consumer electronics and builder of some of the most prolific engineering projects worldwide Avino's shares are listed on the NYSE as MKT and the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ASM. If you want a silver lining in your portfolio, think Avino. Foreign Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Foreign is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me a good friend of mine, Eric Coffin. Eric uh, is the editor of the HRA, the Hard Rock Analyst, uh, and uh, a newsletter that's been in existence for quite some time. He and uh, his his late brother, David, started the newsletter. It's an excellent newsletter. uh, David um, uh, really was sorely missed, for sure. But Eric has picked up the the letter and picked up the, and hasn't, uh, I don't think anything has been, well, it's not true to say nothing's been lost, but Eric has really picked it up and has really uh, stepped it up and has really performed extremely well. I hear nothing but compliments from people in the industry uh, for uh, for really working extremely hard under very adverse uh, conditions. Not only did he lose his partner and brother, but also uh, his wife. Uh, passed away as well not long after that and then Eric raised uh, two really beautiful children now uh, two kids that I've learned to know um, at least superficially and uh, children that are really are doing very very well so I have the highest regards for Eric and his ability to hang in there uh, when times were really difficult a lot of lesser mortals would have stepped aside and uh, probably become alcoholics or dropped out in one way or another, but Eric has got that tough uh, fortitude, and um, I guess you need it uh, for this markets that, we're, that we've been in, and uh, the gold markets, the junior ex- exploration markets are really tough, but Eric has, has done extremely well and, and continues an excellent newsletter, and um, I, I should mention right away uh, that um, if you go to uh, Eric's website, you can actually sign up for uh, a, a, a report that is going to deal with what I want to talk to Eric about today. That's hraadvisory.com. Go there. Uh, just put your name and email in uh, in the box there, and you can get Eric's report on five companies that he believes has have excellent uh, exploration potential, or at least uh, drill results could drive those stocks higher uh, in this bull market that we're ba- that we're in again. Uh, so it's uh, it really, as Eric said, we're in a bull market, baby. So uh, thanks for joining me, Eric. I'm glad you could be with me today. Thanks for inviting me and. In. And saying all nice things, and it was great to see you up in Vancouver. Uh, Jay Jay did a fabulous job at the uh, Metal Investors Forum. He was he was a big hit there, and uh, <laughs> you're gonna have to get up to Vancouver more often for these things. Well, you know, you twist my arm, Eric. I mean, Vancouver is a it's a tough place to go to, right? No, it's it's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> you you did. Uh, I should tell my listeners. You know, we had we had Eric on along with Brent Cook. We had a couple of other newsletter writers on here before the show, and uh, it. It was well beyond my expectations. Uh, Eric and Scott Gibson did a wonderful job, um, and, and as did Eric's daughter, in, in just making things work smoothly. Uh, and it was just—it's really a good—it's really a very wonderful uh, event because I think, in large part, it's—it's it's because of the people are picked, uh, the the companies yeah. that go there are picked. Uh, Eric, uh, then Eric and Scott sort of screen and make sure. Uh, 
they we, we vet them through Eric and Scott or whoever is involved, uh, basically. And, you know, nobody knows the players up in Vancouver. Brent Cook told me this one time. Eric, nobody knows the players up in Vancouver better than you. So, and knowing the people is as important almost as, as knowing the project. So, um, thank you very much for a wonderful event. And I would suggest to all the listeners out there the next time Eric and Scott Gibson or Eric, I think you do one in Toronto as well, people should really mm-hmm. uh, consider attending these events. Well, in any event, Eric, I want to ask you, we're enjoying this. I don't want to call it a bull market yet. I'm just afraid to call it that. We're certainly enjoying a more favorable, let's say instead of wind at our face, a little bit of a breeze at our back here with the gold markets. Is this thing for real yet, do you think? Yeah, well, I'm I'm going to call it a bull market. So, yeah, I, I think it is. I mean, it's not just a matter of it's not just really, for me, it's not so much how much has the gold price moved. It's more a function of how are, how are the stocks reacting and how are the companies doing in terms of raising money. And there's been a, a, a sea change, really, in terms of how well these stocks are trading, but also the fact that, you know, importantly, obviously, because they're negative cash flow businesses, they've, a lot of companies have been able to raise a lot of money to really step up the expiration. And that, that's really where the the idea for that report was, if you follow early stage exploration companies, I mean, really the make it or break a drill program is usually the first or the second. And new discoveries are what really drives big gains in the market. They're not low risk stocks, but, and they are stocks that really only work in a bull market. And, and really I put that report together because I think we are in one again. And there are companies I was following already, but the one thing is, you, as you said, that they all have in common is they're either drilling now or they will be drilling quite shortly on, on targets that I think have high potential to, to really deliver results and, and and really kick off some, some great moves on these stocks. And that's right, well, it's really a bull market phenomenon. Like if I didn't think it was a bull market, I wouldn't have put together a report like that because these things don't really work in bear markets. Yeah, they don't work at all. I mean, in fact, you could you know you could have a you could have a hundred meters of one ounce gold, and nobody would care. I mean, maybe that's an exaggeration, but yeah, it, it, it wouldn't. Event, you know, yeah, hundred meters from surface, and nobody would care. No, I I I suppose they would well, even in can, a in the worst bear market in history. Company, well, if you look at the companies, particularly the ones that are sort of the, I guess the earlier stage, and I, I intentionally tried to pick companies that were at different levels. A couple of them. You know, two or three of them actually have resources already, and they're drilling new targets. A couple of them, they're drilling pure new targets, and I wanted people to, you know, you decided how much risk you're comfortable with. But I've noticed with the, even like an early stage one, like say Colorado, it's had a big move already, and that's purely and simply people anticipating this drill program. And you don't see that in a bear market. You do no. not see that kind of buying, and there's, there's been a ton of buying on that stock because it's, right. it's a it's a really hot target. <laughs> Right. All right. Well, let's let's talk about that one first. Then, uh, anything more you want to say about that, Colorado? It's, it's uh, Colorado Resources well, you, about seventy million shares out. I saw this morning at about thirty-seven cents Canadian. Yeah. You know that's, a, that's still a, a fairly what's twenty-six million market cap or something like that. What can yeah, you tell I mean, us about Colorado? It is a company that I follow in my letter as well. They are just closing a five million dollar uh, placement at uh, thirty-five cents. Uh, which which I took some of for the record. Uh, mm-hmm. They have a new target called INL. It's it's in the middle of what's called the Golden Triangle, and this is an area with a lot of very very large low grade discoveries, but also a couple of really high grade ones down the road. And my interest is more in the high grade targets. They've got a new target called INL where they've got four. They're 
I won't bore you with the geology, but there's basically four parallel targets. They have had some holes in the past. Part of what uh, the planet warming up a bit did for these guys is it's melted all the snow off, and they were right. probably the first guys that were able to really map this stuff properly. So I think they've got a pretty good handle on what their targets are. The holes are short, 5,000 meters they're talking about, and they now have the budget to do more if they want. It's probably 20 or 30 holes, so there's a lot of shots at this, and it's generated multi-meter, multi-ounce results in the past. I mean, I just I think they've got a really good shot at some really strong drill holes coming out of this thing. And it's a very, really strong technical group running it. They really know this area. So I was, you know, I'm totally comfortable with management. Uh, I think that's a good one. Another one that will start drilling, I don't think they'll be drilling for a couple of months. That's Gold Quest. Uh, I've, of course, have followed that stock for years. They have a discovery that's going through pre-feasibility now, but they, they've been doing, for the first time ever, mapping their entire holdings and doing geophysics on their entire holdings, and they've generated a lot of really, really interesting-looking targets. And some of the most interesting stuff is at the southern end. They just put out some very high-grade results from there. Uh, that's right next to uh, Precipitate Gold, which is a company that I was a, a founder of. I'm still a very big shareholder of and that I like a lot, too. Uh, Gold Quest, they had, you know, their official plan is 5,000 meters. They're also in the midst of doing a $5 million bot deal. I think you'll see their program enlarged. I know they already have the approval. Bill Bill Fisher, the president, told me this morning that they've got the, uh, they have the drill permits already. They just need to do some more IP, and then they're drilling. I don't even know how many will be, you know, four, six, eight new targets. And, and I really like to look at these targets. Plus, the value is underpinned by a, a three million ounce gold resource that that I think goes into production. I, I think if they make a good discovery, the odds of somebody taking Gold Quest out actually go up exponentially. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. And I think it's uh, interesting to note, Eric, that the Gold Quest uh, mineralization and, and the trends go right on to precipitate, which I guess maybe you just mentioned. But it's my understanding also that the mineralization tends to be shallower towards the southern end, between uh, you know where closer to where precipitate is. It, it seems that way. I mean, certainly as they worked their way south, they they were finding much a lot more alteration and a lot more mineralization right in outcrop, and that's that's the working assumption is that it's just a bit more deeply eroded. Uh, their their mm-hmm. three million ounce discovery, Romero, is is totally blind. I don't think it outcrops at all. They they basically found it with geophysics, and what they're mm-hmm. doing right now is that same form of geophysics they're applying it. And and yeah, the I was happy as a Gold Quest but a bigger precipitate shareholder when their, their last news release, which had the, the best results. And these are just grab samples, but they're the, the highest grade results out of the belt so far, about, I think it was about six ounces, uh, basically came out of a trend that is, as far as they can tell, the continuation of the Ginger Ridge trend. And Ginger Ridge is a discovery precipitate made a couple of years ago, and it's, it's a good example of this sort of bull market, bear market thing we were talking about. Yeah. They drilled 18 meters of five grams two years ago, and the market didn't give a crap. Yeah, uh, and they made they made what I think was the right decision, and just said, you know what, let's improve our targets, and let's just save the next drill program for a market that'll care. And uh, that's what they're doing now is working up other targets. But you'll you'll see them drilling this year too. Now that now that there's a market that'll actually care if they pull a drill hole like that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Precipitate as well is a, is a company that's on in, on my list as well. Well, one another one, Eric, that has some uh, you know this a little more advanced that also has a lot of exploration uh, drill potential is Pure Gold Mining. Can you talk to us about that for a minute? 
Yeah, Pure Gold's an interesting deal. Um, I actually work, it's, it's a project called Manson, which is a former producing mine in Red Lake, and I'm, I'm intimately acquainted with it because I actually worked there for two summers in high school. Uh, it was it was bought and refurbished by, by I think it was Claude four or five years ago, but it, it never really got off the ground. Pure Gold bought it. They're drilling it now, and it's got a couple things going for it. One is that it's fully permitted. Uh, the mill is there. The head frames there. The tailings are there. Uh, they would probably need to spend fifteen or twenty million dollars refurbishing things, but they're not starting from scratch. They've got a million ounce resource, but the the most interesting thing they came up with was most of the past production and most of the resources are, are in the old workings, not surprisingly, in what's called the uh, the Austin tuff. It's just a mm-hmm. tuff is just a type of volcanic, and there there's an adjacent parallel tuff called the McVeigh tuff that had a little bit more shallow uh, production from it more recently. One of the things that, that Pure Gold has determined with their work over the last year is that the McVeigh tuff is, in fact, the Austin tuff. They are, in fact, the same rocking. Mm-hmm. It just got folded over. And, and that's important because it opens up a lot of the whole area down dip from these shallow workings is now sort of open season in terms of a target. They're doing, a, I think, about a 15,000-meter drill program right now. They've got a couple of rigs going. That's another company that they, they also just, that's, this seems to be the number. They just announced a $5 million bot deal, too. And that, that bot deal is what's called flow-through up here, which means that money's all going into the ground. I think they're just going to keep drilling and drilling and drilling. And they don't need a lot of ounces because, of, because they've got the infrastructure already. If they could right. pull together half a million ounces in this, McVeigh Tuff, I think they're off to the races, and, and they would probably just make a production decision and keep going. Right. Well, unfortunately, Eric, we're just about out of time. I should mention there are two other names that you have in your report, the Arena, Arena Minerals uh, yeah. and also West Red Lake uh, Gold Mines. We should mention that uh, Pure Gold Mining, I think you mentioned, probably is in the Red Lake area, yes, it is. as is uh, West Red Lake, of course, a prolific area of uh, gold production. And Arena Minerals, unfortunately, we're out of time. But what I would like to tell my listeners uh, is that go to HRA Advisory, uh, hraadvisory.com, and just put your name and email in there, and Eric will send you his report. Not only, uh, you know, you'll get a lot more than what he's giving you here because you'll have some pictures, and you'll, if you really care. And, then, you know, you, Eric says he doesn't want to bore us with the geology. Well, I would tell you that if you're interested in understanding these stories, you want to understand as much as you can about the geology as well. Or if you don't have the patience for it, subscribe to Eric's letter, my letter, some other people as well, that dig into the geology uh, and try to explain that to you so you can understand and not just throw darts because there is a difference between these companies. And, of course, uh, Eric knows the people as well as uh, anybody up there. People, start with the people. If you're good, good, honest, competent, technical people uh, that can raise money, then you have a real chance of making uh, making some real money, especially in a, well, in a bull market. I won't say you have a chance <laughs> of making any money in a bear market. He, he uh, but in a good market like this, better. Eric, I think we can have some fun now. Yeah, well, and I... Uh, yeah, I People should take your comments to heart. I mean, the truth of the matter is, there's probably, I don't know, I, I've lost track, 2,000 quote-unquote exploration companies out yeah. there. Of those, maybe 100 to 200 are, have good projects and they're run by really competent management. And you want to separate the wheat from the chaff. 90% of these guys you should be ignoring right off the bat. 
Um, so I'm yeah, so if you can, I, you can subscribe to to Eric's letter, and he'll help you right away get rid of and and not waste your time with a lot of the the useless ones. So thanks so much for being with me, Eric. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, always Thank good you, to get your insights, and uh, look forward to doing it more often. Thank you so much. Especially now that it's a bull market. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to have I you back have more often. Just it in no there one more it. time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're in a bull market, folks, so uh, think about he subscribing to Eric's page. letter, my letter. <laughs> All right, folks, well, we do have to go to break, but don't go away because when we come back, John Rubino will be with us, Rick Rule, not able to be with us. He'll be with us in a couple of weeks from now, but John Rubino will be here to talk about some very important topics, so don't go away. We'll be right back with John Rubino. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a diversified, low-cost producer with operations in Mexico and Canada. Avino is growth-oriented and recently completed a major expansion at its Mexican operation, which doubled its silver equivalent output in 2015. Avino has partnered with Samsung CNT and is now an official metal supplier to one of the world's largest manufacturers of consumer electronics and builder of some of the most prolific engineering projects worldwide. Avino's shares are listed on the NYSE as MKT and the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ASM. If you want a silver lining in your portfolio, think Avino. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and the Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have John Rubino with me once again. John's been a guest on this show many times in the past. Uh, for those who of, of you who may not know him, uh, he uh, hosts a, a website, dollarcollapse.com, and he is the co-author with James Turk, uh, co-authored the book Gold, uh, that is the, the Money Bubble, What to Do Before It Pops. And, he, and John has really published a, and a written a number of other books. He also writes for the CFA magazine. Welcome, John. Good to have you with me again. Hey, Jay. Good to be back. 
Always good to talk to you, John. Um, you know, before we get started, I have to ask you, uh, take a, a minute or two, perhaps, and, and tell us a little bit about an article you're working on now for the CFA, the Certified Financial Analyst Magazine. Uh, really, uh, really fascinating. You were telling me about it yesterday, uh, uh, having to do with artificial intelligence. Could you just explain a little bit about that to our listeners? Well, yeah, it's about the automation of the money management business. Now, you know, automation has been around forever since the cotton gin and, and uh, factory robots started putting working class people out of work. But now it's it's moving up the economic ladder because of two things. One is called big data, which is our newfound ability to aggregate incredible amounts of information and manage it. Um, and the other is artificial intelligence, which is the ability to, to look at this stuff and mine it and sort through it and, and, uh, and find patterns that can be useful for lots of different things. And one of the things it's useful for is money management. You know, you can uh, use an artificial um, intelligence now to, uh, let's say oil goes up $10 a, a barrel. You can look back throughout financial history at a thousand different variables that were affected by changes in the oil price and come up with a series of actionable predictions about what should happen if oil goes up. And that's the kind of thing that, um, you know, a junior analyst at a hedge fund used to spend a career trying to figure out, you know, and it took a really long time. You couldn't do it in real time. You know, if oil went up suddenly, you, you couldn't do that calculation and have it ready for your boss that afternoon. Well, new services that are coming online now can do that. Mm. And so in effect, they're putting a lot of um, lower level finance people out of work. And it's only gonna get more extreme from here because AIs and big data and the technologies that combine the two and, and create useful products are, are just in their infancy. So let this thing run for another 10 years and who knows what happens. You know, it could be that the vast majority of investing is done either passively via ETFs and things like that, or automatically via black box trading systems and that there's not a whole lot of room left for finance people. And, you know, suddenly for um, symbol manipulators, automation and the, uh, the risk of being just made obsolete by technology are real. And uh, that, that's a huge change that's coming that we're not really accounting for. You know, when we talk about financial crises and things like that, we're talking about <clears throat> the world as it is borrowing too much money. But this is a story of the world changing in ways that, that really dovetail and amplify the effects of a financial crisis. Because, you know, people could be being thrown out of work because of artificial intelligence. At the same time, they're being thrown out of work um, because of a financial crisis. So this could be a kind of a perfect storm coming up for people in a lot of different industries where, you know, you lose your job because your company gets into trouble, but your job never comes back because you've been replaced by... So uh, so this is a, a, a bit disturbing, I must say. Um, now, your, your article is going to come out. When will it be published? 
Probably in the fall. You know, the way magazine articles work is there, there's a long lead time behind, to, between handing something in and it actually appearing. So I'm, I'm guessing September, something like that. The uh, story will not have changed in the meantime, though. No. <laughs> well, I hope not. I, well, you know, it's a little disconcerting, to say the least, because uh, I, I'm just wondering, I mean, a tremendous number of people, especially in New York City and, you know, on the, on the coast, in the coastal areas, in the financial sector, an awful lot of unemployed people then, possibly, in the future. Um, yeah, this this is kind of um, a story of Silicon Valley um, aiming an arrow at the heart of Wall Street, because basically these, they call them fintech for financial technology companies, are being funded by um, Silicon Valley venture capitalists. So Google, Facebook, people like that are building divisions that do a lot of this stuff. And then the, the VCs in Silicon Valley are, are funding startups that do a lot of this. And so it's, uh, you know, kind of a clash of cultures here because it's arguably the two most powerful um, cohorts of symbol manipulators in the world. <laughs> and one of them is threatening the livelihood of the other. I just I just wonder what's going to happen. Though. Maybe people become superfluous, right? And then what do you do? You put them out to pasture, essentially. Superfluous. But the the lower level work in a field like finance will be automated. And what will be left is the really high level stuff. You know, the uh, the Warren Buffetts of the world who don't operate um, with spreadsheets and stuff like that. They, they operate by intuition where, you know, who could have known 30 years ago that Coca-Cola was going to be the, the biggest drink brand in the world for the succeeding 30 years. Warren Buffett somehow did, you know, so these, these intuitive leaps are going to be even more valuable in the future. And the people who can make them, you know, the George Soros's of the world and the Warren Buffett's uh, will be even more in demand and more successful. But the, the average analyst who does grunt work mm-hmm. itch going forward. So, so you create even more of a superstar economy in this scenario where it, it's, the, the vast majority of the wealth flows to a handful of people who are just brilliant, you know, the LeBron Jameses of the finance world. And um, there isn't a whole lot left for the people who are further down the, um, the ladder. And so they're kind of, you know, they're not well paid to the extent that they have jobs at all. And the guys running the show are uh, there are a handful of them to begin with only and then they make incredible amounts of money and then they work primarily with artificial intelligences so you know it's, it's a very different world from the the teeming kind of wall street that we have now where you've got literally hundreds of thousands of people working below them well those hundreds of thousands of people are at risk from the technological changes that are happening now and that are going to accelerate in the not too distant future well, well, I mean, this is a story that we'll probably want to talk to you about some more, perhaps after the article comes out. Uh, definitely, I mean, what's the time scale on this? I mean, how much time do we have? I mean, this sound, this is something that's moving very rapidly. I think. Well, you know, that's the thing. We we don't think in terms of exp- exponential change. You know, we yeah. as humans think in terms of linear change. We're, yeah. We extrapolate, but right. exponential change catches us off guard. Yeah. And so this might be an example of exponential change where this stuff is just, you know, it's, it's hitting a critical point where it can actually do the things we're talking about. And then th- there's no reason why everybody shouldn't have AI capability if that's what it takes to succeed in the business. So you've got, um, 
services. There's something called Ken Show, which you see on CNBC now. They'll they'll have um, a line that says Ken Show analysis of this, and Ken Show is not a person. You know, it's not Goldman Sachs's technical analyst or anything. It's a an AI that mm-hmm. somebody created that does what I talked about before. Looks back throughout financial history to see what happened in the past when this thing that's happening today happened before and comes up with 10 actionable trade ideas, boom, and, and does so instantly. And, uh, and that's just, you know, version 1.0 of these capabilities. Right. So right. Uh, let this stuff progress exponentially for another decade. And God, you know, the, the world will be so different that it's impossible to predict right now. All right. Well, it's, it's an ongoing story, but talking about uh, things that are more apropos to the to this exactly to this point in time, uh, you, you've written a couple of articles that really caught my eye. Uh, the unintended consequences of easy money, part one and part two. Uh, easy money, uh, part one, overcapacity equals deflation. Uh, explain, if you would, John, what are the connecting points? How, how does that work? Well, the idea of easy money is basically to create inflation, right? You push interest rates down, you run big deficits, you, uh, you create a lot of new currency. And the idea is that that makes the currency get less valuable and prices go up and it lessens the burden of your debt because you're paying back your currency in, or you're paying back your debt in cheaper currency. Mm-hmm. Well, the real effect of this is the opposite because what happens when you lower interest rates and pump out a lot of new currency is that that sends a signal to the market to build new factories and and to buy more stuff. And so what happened in the last few decades is that by pushing interest rates down in order to cheapen our currencies, we encouraged most of the world to build vast overcapacity in a lot of industries. You know, China quadrupled its debt in the last six years. And and, and used a lot of that money to build massive, for instance, steel making capacity. You know, they they went from like 10% of the world's steel making capacity to 40% in the space of half a decade. And, um, and they produced more cement in three years than the U.S. has produced in the last century. So... Wow. This, this massive overcapacity in these basic industries leads to price cuts, right? Because China is flooding the world with um, steel and cement and lots of other things. And that's either putting out of business the, their counterparts in other countries or forcing them to cut their prices in order to compete. And so that's deflationary. So what, what you get with easy money is deflation because easy money distorts the pricing signals in the market and leads to overcapacity. And that's what we're seeing around the world. So it's canceling out the impact of, you know, quantitative easing here, economics in Japan and and all the crazy stuff they're doing in Europe to try to cheapen their currencies. Because when, for instance, the price of steel goes down, that's the same thing as saying the value of the dollar and the euro and the yen are going up relative to this crucial basic material. And so... um, the more we do this, and we're going to continue to do it, apparently, the more deflation we're going to end up with. So we'll see inflation in certain areas, in other words, rising prices, but we'll see deflation that offsets the inflation in lots of other areas. And so it's not working. And no. so the, the big, you know, the big takeaway from this is that the stuff we're trying to do to save ourselves from our past mistakes is failing. And you know, I was going to say, I was going to say, John. Not only is it not is it not working, is it's failing, is it's actually bringing more 
of what they're trying to get away from. It's bringing more of it about, it would seem to me. And, and let me ask you, because it, it seems to me that, you know, if you were simply printing money, literally printing money without any offsetting debt or uh, on the balance sheet, you could create inflation, could you not? You would incre- you would create it. Let's say that you just showered the you know with literal helicopter money without any offsetting uh, debt on the books of the of the uh, of the economic system. You would think. <laughs> well, to the extent that the amount of money that you're creating and thrown out into the the market yeah. grows faster than the productive capacity that people will produce right. because they're right. fooled into thinking it's a good idea, right. then you'll you'll have inflation. But the, the secondary effect is that, you know, that productive capacity is going to come online eventually. And right. so that's, you know, this is malinvestment that you're creating on a, on a gargantuan scale that has to blow up on you out there in the, fu- in the future because that's the nature of malinvestment. If you build something sure. that you shouldn't have built, then it costs you money rather than makes you money. And so, yeah, you could generate, you know, we could devalue all the currencies of the world instantly if we wanted to just by passing a law that says from now on, this is our exchange rate. Right. But the secondary and tertiary effects would end up canceling out the, uh, you know, whatever benefits you get from devaluing your currency. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my my point in in writing these articles is to... uh, to propose the, uh, uh, the the idea that you can't do it this way, you know, you cannot inflate your way out of a massive amount of debt in a fairly free market system because the entrepreneurs who are making decisions about a capital allocation will uh, will act in ways that cancel out your attempts to get yourself out from under your debt, you know. Because re- remember, easy money leads people to borrow money, right? Because you're saying, whoa, money's on sale, borrow some, spend it. So that increases the amount of debt in the system. So if you're trying to manage a debt load by devaluing your currency, but what you do ends up creating more debt, then you're not out from under it at all. And that's really what we've got here. You know, debt keeps going up (laughs) despite all the uh, the attempts to get rid of it. Yeah, not only does debt go up, John, but if I look at it, it's going up almost exponentially compared to income if it's growing at all, if you believe real GDP is positive, and there are questions about that. I think in the U.S. it's very close to not being positive. But anyway, over the long term here, we see sort of almost a linear growth in income, and if you look at the same, you know, so the growth of debt is growing very, very rapidly, much more rapidly than income, right? Uh, oh, yeah. See, you, you reach a point when there's so much malinvestment out there that whatever else you build, you know, if you build a new steel plant right now, is that going to make you any money? No, it's not. And so it's not going to allow you to pay off your debt. So that debt's still going to be there. So um, something called the marginal productivity of debt goes mm-hmm. down. In other words, the amount of new wealth you get when you borrow money and invest it um, in a healthy society should be about one to one. You know, you should borrow some money and you should generate at least the cash flow to pay off that debt. Sure. Right? And that's the way it was in the 60s and 70s in the U.S. Mm-hmm. But now it's been going down and down and down until, uh, by some measures, it's zero now. In other words, we can borrow infinite amounts of money and get zero real GDP growth going forward. And so that's kind of the end of the road. If we really have hit zero for marginal util- or marginal productivity of debt, then that's the end of this game. It's over. And, uh, and we have a, the mother of all financial crises staring us in the face. And, you know, I, I don't know if this is the end, but it, 
based on that chart, you know, we're certainly close to zero. Well, John, um, all the countries are doing the same thing, the same monetary policy, the same Keynesian uh, monetary policy that that suggests governments should deficit spend and print money to pay for it. You don't have to really save money to form capital. You can just create it out of nothing. I mean, it, it really bugs me when I think about, they say we recapitalize the banks. How did you recapitalize the banks? Well, they did it in a couple of different ways after 2008. They, uh, they pushed interest rates down and, and basically stole from savers. Uh, and they, of course, created money out of thin air and gave it to the banks, essentially. And they call the banks are more are recapitalized now. They're strong and they're recapitalized, supposedly. Uh, it just, it, you know, it's just, it's just horrible what, what we're doing. Uh, but, you know, you mentioned steel. And part two, easy money over capacity equals trade war, as you say. Talk to us a little bit about what's happening. The U.S. just recently hiked its uh, tariffs on Chinese steel, I guess, right? Yeah. You know, when China was building this massive globally dominant steelmaking capacity, they didn't really go around and ask anybody else whether that was a problem, <laughs> you know, the, the other countries who have steel plants. And it turns out it is a problem because uh, if China was able just to produce all the steel it can and then sell the excess to the rest of the world, they put us out of business in steel. Mm-hmm. And so in the U.S., that's a political loser, right, to allow a big industry like that to go out of business just to placate some trading partners. So, you know, we've responded the way most countries would normally respond. We slapped a massive tariff on imported Chinese steel to protect our domestic industry. And Europe just announced they're going to do the same thing to protect their indigenous steel industry. Uh, So that's another sign or, or another example of unintended consequences that defeat the purpose of some misguided policy. You know, China thought they would become a powerhouse in steel and dominate the world. Well, nobody else wants their steel now. So they're gonna be stuck with um, plants that make 50% more steel than Chinese industry needs domestically or so, you know. And what are they gonna do with it? It's not clear, you know, they they could dump it in the remaining countries that'll still take it at a huge discount and lose money on each unit. Or they could close down a bunch of the steel plants that they built in recent years and just write off the investment. But either way, it, it turns out it was a bad deal what they did. You know, borrowing all that money and then spending it this way was a mistake. So they're going to be stuck with the debt. It's not going to go away. But the income producing assets are are going to disappear one way or another. Either they'll stop mm-hmm. making money or they'll just be closed down. And so these trade wars that result from overcapacity are really debilitating for the global economy because somebody is hurt by that. You know, we in the U.S. have to pay more for steel. Um, China can't sell its steel. And so consumers here have less free cash and producers over there have less free cash. And so the economy in general um, across the globe is weaker than it would have been if we would have just kept interest rates at reasonable levels that sent clear signals to producers who then borrowed money only for productive uses, you know, if we'd done it the way we did it in the 50s and 60s and 70s, um, things would be much better than they are and we wouldn't be staring at this gigantic crisis. So, yeah, of, of, of course, it seems to me, John, this is exactly what happened in the 1930s. And a currency wars, essentially countries trying to devalue their currency and then putting on uh, tariffs and so forth. It, it's very frightening, it seems to me. I mean, how... In terms of uh, in terms of relationships between nations, this is not a good uh, a good direction to go either. This this pretends possibilities of 
of, of international conflicts more and more, I'm afraid. Oh, yeah. Well, trade wars are the first step because you make each other mad, right? And yeah, so you're, right. you're less likely to, um, to cut each other slack when there's some kind of a conflict out there that you could have sat down and settled if you were on good terms in other ways, but now you're mad already. So, you know, you go to that conference room um, already not willing to give up anymore because you perceive that this other guy hurt you in some way. All right, John, with just a, uh, geez, my engineer is telling me we have less than a minute left. I wanted to ask you about what's going on here uh, with these $100 million homes. 30 seconds, tell us what's happening. Is this, uh, this is another example, I guess, of malinvestment and what happens, right? Yeah, it really is because easy money um, led the 1% to worry about the value of their cash. So they stashed it in high-end assets, you know, trophy real estate and yachts and corporate jets and things like that. And now they've kind of run out of steam and you're seeing um, $100 million homes pile up around the world and Miami condos are in glut and they're, they're, uh, the, the price of corporate jets is plunging. And all of this is a sign that, that we've reached the limit induce rich people to keep on buying insanely useless baubles, you know, like $100 million right. houses. We're going to have to let it go at that, John. We're out of time. Uh, love to have you back again sometime very soon. Uh, so thank you very much for being with us. Well, folks, that is all the time we have uh, this week. Next week, Jeff Berwick will be with me. Uh, I hope that you'll tune in again. So until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.